0: Bringing order to the intersection of public, private, and civic. This
1: is Infrastructure Momentum Makers. Welcome to Infrastructure Momentum Makers, presented by Ansarada. The only software solution purpose-built to securely run complex and high-value infrastructure procurement. All your infrastructure procurement processes in one place, all in order. And join me, Vratna Amin, as I speak with the movers and shakers at the intersection of the public, private, and civic sectors about the latest breakthroughs and developments in the world of infrastructure. I'm very happy to be joined by the Director of Legislation and Public Affairs for the Metropolitan Transportation Commission, Rebecca Long. Rebecca has been with MTC for over 20 years, so she is the perfect person to talk to about transportation politics, the Transit Fiscal Cliff, and dealing with dozens of decision-makers across the region. Rebecca is here today to discuss the MTC's changing roles, the biggest challenges the organization is facing, and much more. Well, thanks so much for joining us, Rebecca. Welcome to the show. Thank you. So you are the Director of Legislation and Public Affairs at The Metropolitan Transportation Commission, tell us a little bit about what that means and then what an average day or
0: week is like for you in this world. Well, the Metropolitan Transportation Commission is the San Francisco Bay Area's metropolitan planning organization, and I'm sure many of your listeners are familiar with that. Um, We administer a lot of federal funds as well as state funds, and we most importantly do the long-range regional transportation plan. In California, that also includes a big focus on climate change. So that also serves as what's called the Sustainable Communities Strategy. So a lot of our thinking in the planning space is around how can we design our land use and make infrastructure investments that are going to put us on a trajectory to reduce greenhouse gas emissions according to the state's goals. So that's just a little bit about the agency. We have many hats And my role as director of legislation and public affairs is really overseeing three key bodies of work, which is communications, public engagement, and advocacy.
1: that's a really big portfolio. So what's an average day or week like for you in this role and overseeing
0: those functions? To be honest, it's a lot of meetings. (laughs) One thing I've certainly noticed is as my career has shifted more from an individual contributor level to a more managerial, supervisorial level, the meetings just grow exponentially. And so whether it's meetings with my whole team, which is about two dozen folks, we meet once a week, or direct one-on-ones, or meeting with the executive team, other directors, our board members, it just seems like it's very hard to carve out time in a given week to actually do the work. A lot of it is on Zoom these days. Increasingly, more meetings in person, which I definitely enjoy. I'm going up to Sacramento. At least once a year, we go to D.C., so had a great visit in March in Washington. So quite a lot of meetings with elected officials as well. And then also just partners, right? We're doing a ton of collaborating with key stakeholders in the advocacy space right now. So those external meetings are probably the most fun.
1: That's great to hear. So you've been with MTC for over 20 years. Rebecca and I can remember when you were relatively new there and I was relatively new in my career. What has that journey been like for you? What have you learned? What are the benefits of staying? I think we're in a time where there's a lot of leaving going on, quiet leaving, not quiet leaving, trying something new, giving up. That's what I hear a lot of. And Or I'm excited to go try this new thing or take a jump and you stuck with something and I'm so excited to see you're directing this division now. Yeah, what have you learned over the years from staying at MTC?
0: Yeah, it's fascinating. And I don't feel like I've I fully, you know, figured out that answer yet. Maybe it's something I'll figure out in retirement. But one thing I've learned is that at an agency like MTC, and this is probably the case for, for any MPO, particularly in California, the nature of the work continuously changes. And so while... My beginning at MTC was really focused in legislative affairs and analysis, and I was basically the the main staff person reviewing bills in Sacramento, looking at the federal budget and and figuring out where to engage. The nature of that work was kind of repetitive, right? It's, you know, bill analysis, writing memos, making case for us to take positions. But the content was constantly changing. I started MTC around two thousand two. And we really weren't talking much about climate change at that time. But by 2008, I was heavily involved in the drafting and the negotiation for SB 375, which was the landmark bill that linked together the transportation and kind of land use planning process in order to reduce greenhouse gas emissions. And so that was just a whole new area of policy to learn about and new players to network with and just thinking from that point on, you know, that it shifts into thinking about new technology, right? I mean, uh, autonomous vehicles, the TNCs, the transportation network companies, it's so dynamic, transportation, and obviously your listeners know just how many facets of life it affects, right? From thinking about how to make our communities more equitable, safety, economic development, right? There's just so many dimensions to it and, and I. Feel like I've just kind of been along for the ride of what is the latest policy focus, whether at the state level or the national level, and oftentimes really getting to help shape that. So that has been really fun. And I feel very fortunate that I had basically the same boss for about 18 years. And he really gave me a lot of freedom to pursue the things that I thought were the most important, where MTC could make the biggest difference. And so I got to kind of develop my own passion projects, as it were, through legislation and see things from start to finish, work on legislation from the concept all the way through to the end of getting them signed by the governor and then see them implemented. So that's it's been really fun. I feel like that's a great advertisement
1: to work in governmental affairs <laughs> for people who love variety and also want to see things through over time. You've talked about a little bit so far about MTC expanding its role, and this is a pattern you're seeing agencies that were just transportation or just something now having to really think more systemically, get out of that silo paradigm that kind of prevailed a lot in the 20th century. So you've mentioned climate work. What are some of the other newer topic areas that you're really focused on right now?
0: Yeah, affordable housing has really been a huge one over the last, I'd say, Five to even 10 years, MTC had been really at the leading edge of thinking about housing policy. For many years, we were using some of our federal funds that came directly to us to incentivize more infill development, more transit oriented development. But as the housing affordability crisis just grew and grew in the Bay Area around 2017, 2018 timeframe, you know, in looking at our long range plan, it's just so evident that you know, transportation is oftentimes a housing problem, right? And that when you have a situation where people just, as they say, drive until you qualify to to find an affordable home, then that spillover effect of all of those households that are living far out, right? We're in the transportation space just reacting to that, right? And so we know that we don't want to continue to just promote urban sprawl. And so we put together a blue ribbon panel that was known as the CASA Compact, uh, both MTC and our affiliate agency, the Association of Bay Area Governments. And we pulled together basically all the strange bedfellows of the business community and equity advocates and developers and local government to basically identify, okay, if we're really going to make a difference in housing affordability in the Bay Area, what is it going to take? And that was a big two-year effort that led to some very clear recommendations that many of which were enacted in Sacramento. And a a very important one of those was establishing the Bay Area Housing Finance Authority, or BAFA, which is a new legal entity. It has the same board as MTC, but it's a separate hat. And it has the same staff as MTC. But thankfully, we got some funding from the state to basically staff up, at least on a limited term basis. So now we have a team of about 10 amazing housing professionals. And the the main purpose of this entity is to be able to put on the ballot funding measures so that we can have regional housing funding as well as regional transportation funding. Because we know that housing is not really a local issue, right? People don't just live and work in the same city, right? The Bay Area housing market is really a Bay Area market. And to address the huge funding shortage to build affordable housing. We have to bring some other resources to the table. So we're gearing up to put a measure on the ballot in 2024. We now have that authority to do that. And it's just a whole new body of work and very exciting. Is what you're observing
1: that the pie is expanding? That was started with a scope that was more transportation funding, largely federal, but increasingly local as
0: we now and state. Are you dealing with more money now? Oh, we definitely are. I mean, the BAFA funding is really going to be subject to the voters deciding that they want to see that increased level of investment. So we haven't had that that huge infusion of additional resources yet, but certainly we've had the increased responsibility and the sort of faith that the legislature has had in us to say, okay, we do agree that housing is a regional issue and we want to see the region step up in that space. I think where I say we've seen the greatest increase in revenue is clearly at the federal level. So with the Federal Infrastructure and Jobs Act or the Bipartisan Infrastructure Law, to pick your favorite name for it, we refer to it a lot as the BIL. That is really an amazing historic package. And what's particularly unique about it is how much of the funding is discretionary. So we did see quite a lot of growth in the formula programs, particularly on the transit side, which was great. Unfortunately, it's really for transit capital, so those funds don't uh, especially help with the transit fiscal cliff that we're facing. But we have about $100 billion now that's available nationwide in competitive grants. And so MTC has really been focused on being strategic and positioning the region for success by identifying what are our top priorities, because we know that these are going to be very competitive programs, and if we're competing against ourselves— As we sometimes do when we have nine counties, 101 cities, 27 transit operators, we're not going to be nearly as effective as if we can be united over the top priorities for the largest grants. So that's something that we did last year, and and we've had quite a bit of success so far. That's a lot of multi-stakeholder work you're talking about so
1: far in this call. You've mentioned several multi-stakeholder efforts, such as the CASA, now setting funding priorities for the region. What does that work like? Who's good at it? How do you get good at it? Because I think this is the future as we are hearing about taking a more systemic view to infrastructure and investment. How do you do multi-stakeholder work and build alignment?
0: It's not always easy. I think that what really helps is to build those relationships over the long term so that when you are saying, okay, we have this amazing opportunity, let's come together and be united There's a sense of trust and faith. And when I think about why we were able to do that pretty quickly and effectively with the bipartisan infrastructure law, I think it was probably helped by the success we had with the COVID relief funding. So Congress gave the Bay Area four and a half billion dollars to sustain transit operations since, you know, the start of the pandemic through three separate Act. I mean, it was truly remarkable and just hats off to, you know, Speaker Emerita, Pelosi and the California delegation. I mean, it really is just remarkable how much they quickly recognize that, oh my gosh, you know, this is a game changer for transit. And if we want these systems to stay afloat, we have to step up. Nobody else is going to. BART ridership dropped to about 5% of normal levels overnight. Um, thankfully, it's, it's recovered quite a bit from there, but we're not all the way there. But so how those funds flowed was to MTC and to similar, you know, regions. And we had to figure out how are we going to distribute these funds and work with the operators to come up with a formula that was fair, that was based on need. And I think there was that appreciation that MTC was heavily involved in the advocacy to get those funds in the first place. And folks were obviously grateful for that. And then I think for the most part, people did feel like it was an equitable distribution method. So just building on that, when we came to our stakeholders, our operators and others saying, this is an amazing opportunity, we need to really be united again, I think there was a receptivity to that.
1: That's great to get the inside look on, Rebecca, because that's the real work. It's imagining to keep those relationships going. I know something you're dealing with now is the transit fiscal cliff, which is a term heavily used in, I think, federal government, but now in the transit industry. (laughs) Tell us about the fiscal cliff and what that, again, means for this group of stakeholders working together.
0: Yeah, I'd say this is honestly probably the most difficult challenge that the region has faced in my career and, and even my former boss, who's now retired, say. Yeah, it's the biggest challenge the Bay Area has really ever faced (laughs) since MTC was created in the 70s. We are facing an existential threat to our transit systems. And ironically, part of why it's such a crisis is that we were very successful among many of our operators in having very high fare box recovery ratio, which is the percentage of your operating costs that are covered by fares that has long been viewed as kind of the metric of success for transit from a sort of efficiency standpoint. So for example, BART was around 65%, sometimes even 70%. Caltrain, I think even a bit higher. Caltrain is a, a big commuter railroad in the region. And those systems, those commute focused systems are the ones that have seen the greatest drop in ridership due to work from home. So it's just a double whammy. And, and those systems are BART is around 40% pre COVID ridership. Caltrain, I think, is around 30, 35%. And yet, I think the region is clear. We did some recent polling about continuing to invest in transit or given the drop in ridership, should we be shifting our focus to other areas? Bay Area voters, they really value transit and they understand just how important it is. So I was really heartened to see that. But in any case, what we have is a funding gap of about $700 million a year. And that is a very large amount. It's about 20% of the operating cost is currently like a gap. And we have a bit of a window of time to before we really drive off that cliff because the federal funds that I mentioned are still in various accounts, but they're going to be drawn down by fiscal year 24-25. And so we kind of have a, it's like a gradual and then a, a severe drop off in uh, 20, fiscal year 25, 26. So that's been our case to the legislature in Sacramento this year is that Congress stepped up. They're not going to step up again. We have a divided Congress. We can't expect additional support from Washington. And equally, the money just isn't there locally for us to you know magically invent that. We do envision going to the voters in the Bay Area for a future regional transportation measure, but we need tie, we need bridge funding to see where that ridership recovery is gonna be, to make the investments that we know Bay Area riders and the public wanna see. And so we've been asking for this bridge funding for a five-year period. We may not see a five-year bridge, but we're waiting with bated breath to see what's gonna come out next week is really the timing on the state budget.
1: Okay, we'll see what happens with that. What do you think is unique to the Bay Area around the fiscal cliff situation? Or is this pretty
0: similar to what you're seeing in regions across the U.S.? Most large operators across the country are facing some type of a fiscal cliff because I don't believe any large system is anything close to 100 percent of their pre-COVID ridership. And even those that are, you know, what we've seen with inflation is that costs are significantly outpacing Growth in regular revenue. So we're not especially unique. LA Metro, for example, the largest operator in California, they also have a multi hundreds of millions of dollar deficit starting in, in 24, 25. But I do think one of the things that makes us uniquely vulnerable is what I mentioned before that we had such a high fare box ratio. And so we had so many commuters who now aren't required to commute, they're not required to go into the office taking transit previously. You know, a lot of our transit systems aren't used by as many choice riders as they are in the Bay Area. And so they actually haven't seen, you know, as much of a change because if transit was your only mode of travel, didn't have a car, then things haven't necessarily changed that much. We also don't have as high a reliance on sales tax. The fare box dependency is really what made the Bay Area sort of uniquely vulnerable and so that is, I think, we, we talk a lot about the transit business model. We need to reinvent it. Obviously, we want to bring back riders. And so we certainly hope that Box recovery ratio is going to go up again. But realistically, we're going to need to find some supplemental sources of, of funding to close the gap as well.
1: Interesting. It's great to hear folks talk about a business model in transit when I was working on some of those issues a while ago. A lot of folks said transit's not a business. Just don't bring those tools to the table. We don't really have customers. And it's interesting to see the balance between seeing it as a business with customers versus a generic public service. And I've seen more and more debate around that. When you think of it as a public service, making it more equitable and accessible to everybody, what are the strategies around that to make the case that
0: it's available to everybody? And you know, it's not just for affluent commuters. I think where MTC's focus has really been, and I would say the Bay Area as a whole, is on in- improving the experience for the customer. That is our sort of North Star right now. We're thinking about many of the ideas that you <laughs> have championed for a long time, Ratna, in your prior life is things like fair integration, mapping and wayfinding to create a more harmonious experience. And so, you know, we just very much recognize benefits of transit are really realized by the more people who use it, right? That is sort of the point of transit. So we have to be making it a more attractive proposition for people. In terms of access for everybody, one of the initiatives that we've been expanding is our Clipper Start program. And so that's using our smart card, Clipper, which is available in your digital wallet. So not just a plastic card anymore. But that is a discount for low-income transit riders. So as we think about how to address the funding challenges, fares are likely to be continue to be a very vital piece of that puzzle, but making it more accessible so that fares aren't as burdensome for those who really do need a more affordable mode of travel. And so BART has recently agreed to go from a 20% fare discount on Clipper Start to 50% Many other operators are already at 50%. So yeah, we're really trying to make sure that through transit, we can make living in the Bay Area more affordable. Oh, those are big changes.
1: I know one of the challenges to doing that work has been the sheer size of the region. There are nine counties, 101 cities, as you well know. And it's an enormous geographic area. I've many times put it side by side with other regions. It's the size of half of England you can't even compare it to the London region or other big cosmopolitan areas. How does that impact the work? I know when COVID started and folks had to stay home, it was easier in a way because it's such a big region to traverse and convene, but I'm sure that hampered the work too. How do you overcome the sheer geographic size of the Bay Area
0: region? I do think that the transition to remote meetings does make it easier to connect more, you know, with South Bay colleagues and North Bay colleagues and not have to spend the entire day traveling. I think if I had more time in my day, I would love to get out more and do more tours in the South Bay, do more visits in the North Bay. I think it is challenging to have a tangible understanding of what all those unique challenges are across the region. I guess how we do that is really through our board structure, right? I mean, our board is comprised of local elected officials, from each of the counties with the smaller, more rural counties each having one seat and the more urban, highly densely populated areas having two to three seats. So that perspective of all those different parts of the region is definitely brought forward through our board. Thinking about the
1: future, first of all, if you could wave a magic wand and pass one piece of legislation
0: for the good of MTC, what would it be? That would just be addressing the transit funding shortfall. If we knew that we had enough resources to sustain the transit service that we have right now and to just keep that going, we would be able to put so much more energy into improving the experience. And right now we have so many resources at the transit agencies, at the transit executive level, at MTC that are just focused on playing defense and trying to protect what we have rather than Thinking forward and making improvements, so that would be my wish: is address this fiscal cliff.
1: That's a great wish. It's interesting to hear you talk about the resources. We don't always see how things are getting reallocated from the main purpose, which is to put the service out for folks and make it better every day. As you look to the future of Bay Area public transportation over the next five to ten years, what do you see? What are the things that you are interested to see emerge or grow or scale that might be more subtle today?
0: I feel like we're really at this pivot right now where if we don't secure funding to address transit, we're just going to be kind of in this hunkering down mode. And I'm sure that new developments will occur with technology and other things. But I sort of see one path that is much more, as I said, about enhancements and improving the customer experience and just providing more multimodal options. And then the other path, which is just gonna be kind of triage. So I really hope we're on the kind of expansive (laughs) enhancement mode and not just trying to, to minimize the cuts, but we are really at this inflection point right now. And outside of transit and public transit, which we've spoken a lot about, what are you paying attention to Housing, resilience, you know, that is something that we have been thinking about quite a lot. You know, sea level rise is real and it's a serious threat. We recently did an analysis looking at all infrastructure that's at risk in the Bay Area with respect to our transportation system as well as housing. And it's an enormous need that we are going to need to address. I think the bipartisan infrastructure law started making some headway there. They opened up a number of the federal highway programs to being eligible for resilience investments. So for example, you can use federal highway funds to do flood restoration that would protect an existing highway, but a lot more is gonna be needed. So I'm gonna be interested to see what is that next step that most likely will need to come from Washington because the scale of the need is enormous and it's not just a California issue. And it's certainly not something that I think can fairly be put on the backs of Bay Area voters. I think the need that we looked at was on the scale of $100 billion. That's on the scale of a national type of investment that requires the branch of government that can print money to step up on that. Yeah, we should be paying attention to that, which is on the horizon,
1: which is the need for resilience in infrastructure. I'm going to ask the final two questions we ask everybody. So first of all, managing major infrastructure projects... And programs can be a stressful ordeal, as you've indicated. Where do you find order in the chaos?
0: I don't feel like I personally manage infrastructure projects, but where I find order in the chaos in general of my career is probably through exercise, (laughs) listening to podcasts. I'm a pretty avid cyclist and swimmer. And as long as I can get in my good workout, I can pretty much tackle whatever is ahead for the day. Yeah, that's a great tip for folks
1: who want to work in this space. And one last question before I let you go. Is there any major infrastructure project or place anywhere in the world that's on your bucket list to go and see one day?
0: You know, I have to say it's that project that is still under construction, but I very much look forward to stepping onto a high-speed rail train at the Transbay Transit Center, the Salesforce Transit Center in San Francisco, and getting to ride high-speed rail in California. So I hope that comes true before the end of my lifetime.
1: (laughs) I know you're not the only one who's excited about that opportunity. Our guest today once again was Director of Legislation and Public Affairs for the MTC, Rebecca Long. Thanks so much for joining us, Rebecca, and sharing an inside look at the MTC. It's been a real pleasure. And thank you all once again for listening to our show. If you're enjoying it, please make sure to leave a review so more people can find us. Until next time, I'm Ratna Amin and this has been Infrastructure Momentum Makers presented by Ansarada.